0: Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and get it out and uh, turn with me to the book of Matthew. And uh, as you guys turn there and uh, get ready, we're launching, or not launching, last week we launched a new uh, sermon series called Love for the City. And uh, just to remind you kind of what we're going to be talking about, um, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, by the way. So uh, if you have a Bible or if you want to use a phone or a tablet, feel free to do that as well. And uh, you can scroll on down to Matthew chapter 20. Um, uh, but before I tell you what verse and before we dive in today, just want to remind you what we're talking about. So um, leading up to, and uh, I'm so excited that in just a couple of weeks, hard to believe that in two weeks, we are going to celebrate one year of Impact Church, everybody. So That is so awesome, and and so we're so thrilled and excited about that. But God really put it on our heart and said, "Man, as we get ready to celebrate one year as a church, like we should maybe remind ourselves of why we're even here and and what the church is and why we're doing this." And um, and so last week we kicked off this series uh, called "Love for the City" and really moved with love for the city. And uh, we talked about how Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw uh, the people who were like uh, sheep but without a shepherd that they were lost, and Jesus had great compassion on them. He was moved with compassion to do something for them. And, uh, and so we talked about how last week um, we talked about intercession. And uh, really what intercession is is prayer. It's praying for people who maybe can't pray for themselves. And so uh, we did that in our go time earlier and we talked last week about one way we can love our city is to intercede for our city and intercede for those in our city. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about um, another I word is not just interceding for our city but investing in our city. So so if you're taking notes, and I want to encourage you to do that today, whether you're taking notes on your phone or you brought a notebook or, um, or maybe you're using the response cards that we passed out on your seat, um, I want to encourage you to take notes today. And if you're taking notes, just write that word down. Just write down the word invest, invest. And uh, that's what we're going to kind of be talking about today. And um, I think a lot of times when we talk about the word investment a lot of times our minds go to money, right? Like we talk about investing money, and uh, it's kind of like, you know, well, you got to make sure you invest in your retirement fund, and invest in uh, kids' college funds, and invest in, uh, you know, whatever. We even use this word um, when we try to justify crazy things that we buy, right? Well, I was just investing in this 70-inch flat screen, like I just, it's an investment, you know, because I'm going to invite people over and share the gospel with them, and we're going to watch the show on it. So it's a, Pastor, it's a spiritual investment uh, that I bought this 70-inch flat screen, right? Just me? I'm the only one who does that? Okay. And so like we just have this, uh, you know, this weird way of trying to justify things. Sometimes we use the word investment. And uh, so sometimes, a lot of times we think about money, but I don't want you to think about money today. When we talk about the word investment, I want you to think about people, Okay? I don't want you to think about money today. I want you to think about investing in people. And when I think about people, one of the things I think of is uh, my friend Saviel. And some of you may know uh, Savi and others of you probably don't, but Savi is one of, my, one of my boys. Like I loved him so much. And I met Saviel because I ran this thing called Edge Clubs. And uh, we started in an edge club at this dude's high school, and his sister started coming. And she came and gave her life to follow Jesus. And we're like, "Whoa, that's awesome. And I baptized her, and it was really great. And this was probably about 12 years ago uh, when I was a youth pastor. And we baptized her. And then we uh, got done, and she said, uh, "She said, Pastor Brandon, I'm going to bring my brother. Like, my bro- like, I needed Jesus, but my brother really needs Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, br- girl, bring your brother. So she brought her brother, and he made it very clear. He didn't want anything of what we were bringing. Like, he, he was like, I don't really want this. This isn't for me. Like, you know, you guys are kind of lame, whatever. And, uh, and so we just kind of, but he kept coming. And he just kept coming. Then he'd come the next week, and the next week, and the next week. And then all of a sudden he started coming to church. And so I'm like, dude, why are you coming to church? Like I thought you didn't want any of this. Like you know, aren't there better things you could do with your time? And he's like, no, not really. I'm kind of a loner. And I was like, all right, great. So literally, I mean, that's so great to get up to preach when a student looks at you and said, I just didn't have anything better to do, so here I am. You know? And it's like, all right, awesome. And so, uh, so that was kind of savvy. Well, one night it was actually uh, the first night that he came. It was like a Halloween kind of thing, and we we did something, I don't know, we did like a silly costume party or something, and uh, I don't remember all the details, because uh, I'm getting old, but anyway, he he came to that. Like, that was the one thing that he was like, oh, okay, I guess that's not lame. I'll start, I'll come to your church. So he came to our church, and uh, he didn't dress up or anything, because, you know, that would have been lame, and he came, and he's just kind of hanging out with us, and I, I basically preached a message on, like, um, you know, identity, and, uh, you know, like, being real before God, and how God accepts you the way that you are. And so Saviel was like, uh, man, you know, like, this is really good. And I, I didn't really think much. We had a lot of students there, so I didn't, I didn't really see Saviel. He just kind of came and left. But then he, after that, he came every week. And about two months later, I was preaching on baptism. And I was talking about getting baptized and all this stuff and what it meant, why you should get baptized. He came up to me after the service. He goes, yo, Brandon, I got to get baptized, man. And I was like, yo, Savi. There's some other stuff you got to do before you get baptized, man. Like, you know, what's the deal? And he goes, he goes, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you got to give your life to Jesus. And he was like, I already did that. And I was like, "You did what?" He was like, "Yeah, I already gave my life to Jesus. Like, yeah, I follow Jesus." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Last time I talked to you a couple of months ago, you didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He was like, "I know, but dude, I came to that that like awesome costume party that you did, and you started talking, and dude, I started crying, and Jesus saved me. And I did. I said the prayer. I gave my life to Jesus. Like, and I've been like, I bought a Bible, and I've been going to Bible studies before school and coming to Edge Club. And I'm like, man, I love Jesus, and like, I'm ready." get baptized. I was like, uh Savi, you weren't gonna tell anybody? Like, like dude, you know, you should like tell somebody. He looked at me and he goes, well you didn't you didn't tell me to do that. I was like, I didn't tell you to do Like, do I have to tell you to do everything? That would become a common theme in my relationship with Saviel, and he would say, well, you didn't tell me, so I just kept it to myself, and then I learned as a pastor, you got to tell people to go tell somebody, right? And so Savi did, and we baptized Savi, and after that, um, Savi just became really dear to to my life, and uh, then when uh, Ellen and I got married, she kind of inherited Saviel, and uh, Savi became, and he lived with us for like a couple of years, and we just got a chance to disciple him and walk with him, And, and he was a senior in high school and joined our first church plant 10 years ago and uh, he came every week and I'm like dude don't you want to go like to some more youth programs and all this he's like no I'm right here I whatever you need I'll do it like and he did like I'd be like hey savvy go outside and quack like a duck and he'd be like for, for the glory of God, baby, let's go. And he's just like, do it. Like, that was Savi. Like, that was just what he did. And so when I think about investment, when I think about investing in people, I think about Saviel. And I think about the fact that after years of investment, years of investment, he started our first youth group at Impact Church of Northern Virginia when we were up in Centerville. Like, he, like I got to watch him go from someone who was a sophomore in high school who didn't love Jesus to someone who came to Christ, got baptized, started getting discipled, helped plant a church, got invested in for like three or four years, and then eventually become doing what, what he knew that I did um, when I invested in him at first. Isn't that awesome? And that's solving. There's so many stories like that, but when we think about investing in people, guys, I want you to think about like the, the actual investment of people and the difference that it can make. So um, let's turn to the uh, book of Matthew, and I want to read to you a story uh, that is in the Bible, which means it is a true story, and uh, and it's in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29. And I want to tell you a story today from Jesus about a time that he invested in people. And we're going to take that story, and we're going to learn a few ways that we can begin investing in the people of our city. All right, Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome, here we go. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him, him meaning Jesus. Verse 30, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them, be silent. And they cried out all the more, Lord, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Isn't that awesome? It's the word of the Lord. And so I want to share with you guys just a few things. If you're taking notes, I want you to write some of these things down, a few things that we learn if we are going to invest in people. Okay, if we are going to let God use us to be a church that actually invests in people, these are a few things that we're going to have to do that we learn from the life of Jesus. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, is we got to ask God to help us slow down. We got to ask God to help us to slow down. Oh man, we are not going to like this. I mean, this is like one of the hardest things for us to do in Western culture. It's especially hard in American culture, and it is almost impossible in Northern Virginia culture, is to just slow down. But I want you to look and see what's happening. Like, understand the context. In verse 29, it says that Jesus was going out with a great crowd, right? And it would have been really easy for him to get involved in all the hoopla, all the stuff going on. I mean, you got to think, a great crowd, there might be thousands of people that are following Jesus. I mean, it's like a traveling Bible circus, you know, and like Jesus is there and he's got all these things going on, all these crowds and people following him, and, and it says like there were these two blind men, but, you know, they were trying not to bother Jesus, and all the disciples were saying, get away, get away, you guys are getting in his way, we're, we're here, you know, and some of the people were genuine that were following Jesus, some were just doing it because it was the hype, and they wanted to be, you know, an influencer or whatever, some of them were just following Jesus because he fed them a bunch of food a little earlier, like a bunch of loaves and uh, fish, and they're like, hey, I, man, yeah, keep, keep keep the bread coming, you know, as they're like doing all this stuff, and, uh, and so Jesus, though, look at what it says in verse 32. In verse 32, it says, and stopping, and stopping. Like, think about that. Jesus is, is the, the front of this crazy parade, of crowds of people following him. And, and listen to what he's doing next. If you read the next section in Matthew chapter 21, it starts Palm Sunday. So it starts the events of the Passover. So they're all headed into this amazing event. Jesus has stuff to do. Like in just a few days, he's going to be arrested and crucified. Like there are things happening. Jesus has a lot on his mind. Jesus has things, like he's on a mission, okay? Like it's not like Jesus, sometimes we look at Jesus and we're like, oh, he didn't have anything to do. He's just like ultimate hipster. He's like, yeah, what's up, man? Like, I'm cool. I don't have anything to do. Sure, I'll heal you. Jesus was on a mission. Jesus lived one of the most purposeful lives that we've ever seen, if not the most purposeful. Jesus was on a mission. Jesus was coming out of a mission. And in the midst, Jesus was responsible for thousands of people that were following him. And in the midst of all that, Jesus stopped. Now, if Jesus stopped, what do you think happened to the thousands of people following him? They stopped too. Yeah, yeah, I'll help you. They, they stopped too. Exactly. How inconvenient right? Like, you're headed, uh, some people thought Jesus was about to go set up his government, reign as king. They're thinking we're going to be cabinet officials. We've got a bunch to do, you know. This was like Jesus was in the thick and the climax of his ministry in this moment, and, and, and listen, like, Jesus in this moment, he stopped. This is what he, he did. He chose to invest in the eternal rather than the temporary. That's what Jesus did. Jesus made a decision in that moment, That he was about to invest in the eternal and not just the temporary. See, temporary were the crowds following him. Because in a week's time, they gone. Like, they're not coming. They're going to abandon him. Even some of his closest disciples that are like at the front of the line, right behind him, are going to flee. Jesus knew these crowds are temporary. This hype is going to fade in a few days. But Jesus knew the healing and the faith of these men is going to last them for an eternity. Jesus stopped because he chose to invest in the eternal rather than the temporary. See, Jesus' schedule on this earth was temporary. He was only here for about 33 years. He knew his time was coming to a close, And so he knew, like, the things he was doing were temporary. They they were going to come to a stop, but he knew the lives that he touched would live on for eternity. And so Jesus chose to invest in the lives and not the hype. So if we want to invest in people, then we're going to have to slow down. And sometimes we're even going to have to stop. Sometimes if we're going to invest in people, listen, we're going to have to slow it down. We're going to we're gonna have to ease up a little bit. And then there are other times to invest in someone It's going to feel like we've come to a screeching halt. And see, we don't like that because we feel like we're not being productive. We feel like we're not accomplishing anything. We feel like nothing's happening. We feel like there's no movement. We say things like, I've been investing in this person for a month now. We've been meeting once a week for an hour for a month and they still don't get it. And we look back and we go, man, real investment is saying, man, I'm going to walk with them every day for like many months, for many years until they get it. See, it's a difference of having temporary perspective, temporary investment versus eternal investment. So here's what it means. If we're going to be a people that invest, we're going to be inconvenienced. We're going to be inconvenienced. You're going to have to deal with it. Like, I wish I could say, you know, you're going to be inconvenienced, but it's going to feel good. It's probably not for a little bit. Like, we have to decompress ourselves out of our own schedules and out of our own ways, and we got to get like Jesus, where we go, Jesus stopped, and his stopping didn't just affect him. It affected the thousands of people behind him. Like, Jesus was willing to do a traffic jam right there in the middle of the town just to help two people who needed an eternal blessing. So we're going to be inconvenienced. You know what else? Is if we slow down or even stop, we're going to be uncomfortable. It is going to be uncomfortable. There are going to be times that you go, you know, Brandon, it's just a lot easier for me to go on autopilot. It's just so much easier for me to boom, 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 knock things out, and it is uncomfortable for me to do what Jesus did. And so I would say, instead of, sometimes we excuse this away, right? Sometimes we say, well, you know, Jesus was Jesus, and, uh, and I'm no Jesus, and this is the way Jesus made me. I'm just a go, 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 go. And, uh, and what we're doing is we're excusing sin. We're excusing a behavior in us that is not like Christ. And so I would encourage us, like, let's not be a people who say, well, that makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, God did not make me that way. I'm a, I'm a four wing two or whatever. I don't even know the language. And, and so because of that, like, I, I've got to, you know, I, I just, I, that's not who I am. That's not how God made me. And why don't we just look at the Bible and go, but that's who he is. And to be a Christian means to be like Christ. And we want to be like him. And listen, there's not a single time I've been made like Jesus that it hasn't been uncomfortable. Come on, anybody? Anybody ever been made more like Jesus and it was hard? Okay. Uh, When we were starting this church, I had a moment that things got really hard and I thought it was all going to be done. We were three months in and I thought it was all over and I had a mentor sit me down and he said, it's hard, isn't it? And I said, it's really hard. And he said, that means you're growing. And I said, I don't want to grow. He said, yeah, growing is hard. And I just remember looking at him like, okay, so what are we going to do? Let's blow this thing up. He goes, no, you're going to do nothing. You're going to literally just sit and wait on God. And I was like, I don't want to do that. That stinks. And he goes, yep, growing is hard. And guys, when we become more like Jesus, it's going to be inconvenient, and it's going to be uncomfortable. You know what else it's going to be? It's going to be costly. It's going to cost you something. Time is money. Money, money, money. Like it's going to cost you something. Taking days off work, doing things that are uncomfortable, having to come in late a little bit, having to give your money to invite people over and do things like that. It's going to be costly. But listen, investment in people is not a microwave, it's a crock pot. Okay? Investing in people is not a microwave, it's a crock pot. And so I, we, we have exchanged our crock pot for an instant pot. So that doesn't work with this analogy, okay? So I just need you to understand if you're like me, all right, and your crock pot is in the garage and you're all the instant pot, that, this analogy does not work for you. You have to go get the old school crock pot out of the box and set it up, okay? Because investment in people is not a microwave where we stick it in and then we expect results and we pull it out and go, oh, it's not quite ready yet, let's zap it again. And then we try again, oh, it's not quite ready, and zap it again. After three times you go, I don't really want it that bad and you walk away right this is not investment in people discipleship is not a microwave it is a crock pot where you sit there and you slow cook and you slow cook and you take deep breaths and you go "Ah, I think we're done nope not done let me just stir it up a little bit and we'll come back and you just keep going and going and going until God is done and so I think we got to ask ourselves some questions right We've got to ask ourselves some questions like, do you even have the margin in your life to invest in someone? Like, like if, if I came to you and said, hey, this is Bob and Bob is awesome and Bob just gave his life to follow Jesus today and Bob needs someone to walk with him, invest in him. I'm not talking about like once a month check in. I'm talking like Bob needs to follow somebody and get invested in Would you even have the margin in your life to say yes? Or would we have to say, I'm going to need to pray about that, right? Which really means I'm going to have to pray about it because I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. And guys, this is investment is what the Lord did. Like, this was his ministry, and this is the ministry of the church, Like, the church's ministry is not to just get people in a building. The church's ministry is to go invest in people who may never get in this building. Like, that is the church's mission, a selfless mission of investing in people who may never bring a return to this church. That is biblical investment. (laughs) So do you have the margin in your life? When I say margin, do you know what I mean? I'm talking about like you've got time, but like on a sheet of paper or on your Word doc, there's even like rulers where there's little lines on the paper. So you, if you need to run over, you can run over just a little bit because you've got room to do that. Or is your paper completely filled up? Is your calendar so filled up to the brim that if God brought a God-sized opportunity to you, you, would, you wouldn't know if you could say yes? We've got to ask this question. What if the Holy Spirit doesn't care about our calendar? Like, this is my, one of my uh, things that cracks me up the most. I come from the South. I come from the great state of Mississippi. And in the great state of Mississippi, we do these things, and I think they do them in Virginia too, we do these things called revivals, all right? Here's what it really means. It really means uh, we're going to get everybody together. We're going to bring in a special speaker, special worship leader. You're going to bring as many people as you can, and we're going to try to lead them to Jesus, all right? Um, which is more of an awakening than a revival, but whatever, okay? So that's, that's a revival. But here's what we do. We plan it. We put it on the calendar. Hey, Holy Spirit, you are invited July 18th through the 21st to come and revive your church. I mean, how silly is that? Like, you know, as if like we can keep the Holy Spirit out, you know, or or as if like we can really schedule movements of the Holy Spirit. Listen, scheduling a movement of the Holy Spirit is like going surfing when there's no wave. It's like taking your surfboard out to the ocean, and you get out there, and you go, there's no wave, but you know what? I think if I flap around enough, I think if I make enough noise, I can create a wave, and I'll just jump on that. Do you know how ridiculous that would look? I mean, that would look really silly, right? Instead, what do we do? Surfers go. They take their boards. They wait for a wave. They see the wave they want, they judge, and they hop on the wave, and they ride the wave until the wave is done. And guys, that's how the Holy Spirit works in us sometimes. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is working, and he's saying, come jump on the wave of where I'm working. And we are out there flapping our arms in the middle of the ocean, trying to make waves and create things that are going to happen while God is already working somewhere and inviting us to come work. So, what if the Holy Spirit says, I appreciate your calendar, but I cannot work within the confines? What if someone's life difficulties don't match up with your busy season of life? What are we to do? Blow them off? (laughs) What are we to do? Give them to someone else? What are we to do? What if I had looked at Saviel and said, Savi, I'm actually really busy. I'm glad that you accepted Christ, but I'm really busy. I'm responsible for a lot of people. Here's somebody else. They'll meet with you. Everything's fine. Good luck, man. I'm really proud of you. Well, what would have happened? Like, we wouldn't have started a church together. He wouldn't have become a youth pastor. He wouldn't have been following Jesus. So guys, these are some questions we have to ask ourselves. And obviously, we don't like thinking about these things because they make us grow. But listen, before we invest in others, God wants to invest in us and prepare our hearts to receive people that we are to invest in. All right, here's number two. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is the second thing about investment that we see from Jesus. If we're going to invest in people, we've got to ask God to open our eyes. We've got to ask God to open our eyes. (laughs) Look at what happens in uh, verse 29. In verse 29, it says, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And listen to verse 31. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. See, I love this because the very people that that Jesus saw were the very people the crowds were trying to silence. And so sometimes what we learn is Jesus sees things that we don't see. Jesus sees things before we can see them. And so if we want to invest in people, then we've got to ask Jesus to open up our eyes to see them around us. So that we actually are aware of the needs that are happening around us. And and here's what I love about this is because this man was being told by all the followers of Jesus. Okay, So I want you to wrap your head around that. That these, these people rebuking the men for wanting to be with Jesus were followers of Jesus. So before we ever get to a place where we go, I would never do that, Pastor Brandon, I'm a Christian. I would never do that. I really follow Jesus. Don't be so sure. Because the very people that rebuked these two blind men were were the very people who were following Jesus to the hill of Calvary. So don't be so sure. Jesus sees them. Jesus sees them. And let me tell you what that should do for us today. If you're here today and you go, Pastor Brandon, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why I'm at this church. I don't know what God's doing in my life. I feel like I've blown it. I feel like my past is junk. I feel like I don't have a future. I, don't, I can't figure out where I belong. I feel like the church has hurt me. I feel like I'm the blind man who other followers of Jesus have rebuked and told to be quiet and be silent. If that's you here today, I got some good news for you, church. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. You may have been hurt by the church. You may have been rebuked by people who meant well. But let me just tell you, they are not Jesus. And our Lord sees you. And listen to what more. He wants you. He doesn't just see you. He wants you. And you are worth I mean, you think I'm on the outskirts watching everything spiritually happen, and you just feel like you're on the outskirts? Let me tell you something. You might be on the outskirts, but you are worth Jesus stopping the whole parade for because he sees you and he wants you. This is who Jesus is, this is why he cares. So no matter where you're at today, no matter who you are today, no matter your past, no matter your fears for tomorrow, Jesus sees you. Man, there wasn't a crowd big enough to take the eyes of Jesus off of these two guys. Isn't that awesome? Jesus wasn't looking for the crowds. Jesus' eyes weren't on the lights. Jesus' eyes weren't on being the political party in charge. Jesus' eyes weren't set on the smoke machines or the the big worship gatherings. Jesus' eyes were not set on it. Jesus' eyes were set on two men being rebuked by the church for wanting to spend time with Jesus. That's where his eyes were. So church, maybe sometimes we're not investing in people because we're we're not looking at the people right in front of us. Now listen, I want to speak directly to especially this generation because you're Gen Z, um, and maybe even some millennials, uh, what can happen often is um, we get so bombarded with people telling us things we should care about and things we should be investing in that we completely shut down because guess what? We're not God, (laughs) and we are not able to invest in every single story that you see on TikTok or Instagram. Like, you're not sovereign. You're not omnipresent. You are not able to do what only God can do. But sometimes what happens is we get shut down and we go, I should be giving to this organization. I should be protesting this. I should be standing up for this. I should be posting about this. And they even use language like if you don't post about this, then you don't love Jesus. Or if you don't do this, you don't. And listen, that's what especially the social media generation is like inundated with. And I just want to tell you, like, you can't be responsible for the whole planet, but you are responsible for who is right in front of you. Whatever injustice is right in front of you, whatever person is in need of investment that is right in front of you, that's who you are responsible for. You are not responsible to cure the whole world of injustice. Jesus will do that. He is coming again, and he will do that. But we are responsible for the little cul-de-sac of injustice and people that need investment in our lives. That's who we are responsible for. Man, so who's in need of investment in your life right now? Your kids. Maybe your kids need a little more of your time, your margin, your roommate. Maybe a roommate has become just a share of the bills together, and it's time that your roommate needs a little bit of investment. Maybe a friend you just reconnected with that you haven't seen in a while, and you got coffee and it's a little awkward, but you're not sure if you want to do that again. Maybe uh, that guy you see on the train going into work every day or the refugees that are in our city, the homeless people in our city, the multi-ethnic parts in our city that some people don't even know exist, the thousands of college students in our city from Germana and Mary Washington. Like, who is it right in front of you that God might be calling you to invest in? So our prayer is, God, open up the eyes of Impact Church that we might see who is around us And where God is working in our lives. Here's the last thing, number three. The third thing we see from Jesus is this. Um, If we wanna invest in our city, we gotta ask God to touch our hearts. We gotta ask God to touch our hearts. Um, If you look at verse 30, it's really interesting because in verse 30, um, these guys are crying out for mercy right? They're going, Lord, Lord. And and what's cool is they're calling him Lord, and they're acknowledging he's the son of David. Like, they are acknowledging that he is the Lord, and they're crying out, Lord, Lord, meaning we believe you can help us. We believe you can heal us. Like, Lord, Lord, help us, heal us, be with us. Like, they are crying out for mercy. And I just wonder, man, like, I know that people in our city are not crying out for more churches, all right? I know that, (laughs) trust me, I know that. I know that people in our city are not crying out for more evangelism, all right? I know people in Fredericksburg aren't going, you know, the greatest injustice is we just need more weird Christians in our city. Like, I understand that that, those conversations are not happening in our city, but I hear the cries of a city crying of injustice. When When I look around and I see people who are just crying out, saying, I, they're not as crying, Lord, Lord, but they are crying for help. They're not crying, Lord, Lord, because they don't know that Jesus is Lord. Like, they don't know that a relationship with Jesus is the answer for their hope. Like, they don't know that, but they're certainly crying out. And sometimes we say things like, oh, they're just, you know, you can't please them, or they don't understand, or they're wicked, or they're this. We try to put labels on them to, like, dismiss them, when in reality, those are the people who need Jesus. Like, those are the people who need the hope of Christ, that are worthy to invest in. And so in verse 34, it says, Jesus had pity on them. Jesus in pity. You know what that word pity means? It literally means the word compassion that we talked about last week, that Jesus had compassion on them. But you know what is more than, uh, we talked about last week, compassion is more than sympathy. Like compassion is not just Jesus, like looking at those blind men, got the crowds following him, touching his heart, going, oh, guys, I see you. I, I hate your condition, man. I feel for you. And I promise when we get to a stopping point, we're going to pray for you, okay? Um, and so that, that's, that is sympathy. What Jesus had was pity or compassion. The difference is sympathy lets you keep going on your way. Compassion makes you stop and do something about it. And so Jesus stopped and he knelt down and he saw them. You know what was really funny about This is my favorite part of the story. Maybe one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because Jesus looks at them and Jesus, you know what he asks them? He asks them one question. What do you want? That is an amazing question. Like, I want you to think about it for a second. Do you think Jesus didn't know what they wanted? No, blind men, blind people were very obvious in biblical times. It was very clear who they were. Oh, not to mention Jesus is God, so he kind of knows everything already. Jesus knows exactly what they want, that they want to be healed. Jesus knows. So why in the world would Jesus ask them, what do you want? Like, what do you want? Jesus is getting to a soul question. And I want you to imagine here today that Jesus was up here and he asked you, what do you want? what can I get for you? What do you want? And our answer to that question will tell us a lot of our relationship with Jesus. Because see, these guys, when asked that question, begin proclaiming his lordship. They begin proclaiming, you are the Lord, and of course, we want to be healed. And Jesus knows that and says, because of your faith, and later in the book of Mark, we see the same story rewritten, but he says, because of your faith, you have been made well, you have been healed. What faith? Well, the faith of them proclaiming, you are the Lord, we believe in you, we believe you're the Lord, right? But what would we do? Jesus shows up and says, what can I get for you? What do you want? Are we ask asking for money. Are we asking for better circumstances? Are we asking for a spouse? Are we asking for all of these things that we think will make our life better? Or are we asking for more of Jesus? And this is what these guys were, were asking. So Jesus was investing because he had compassion. And sometimes we get so used to our surroundings that our hearts become hardened or even cold. This is why mission trips or go trips are so important because um, we'll take a team to Greece and they'll go to Greece and they'll see the refugees and they'll see the way everyone lives and their heart is softened. like you get back on the plane and you're just in tears and you're like, God, I don't know how, like, how am I going to go on and live that way? And then we come back and our hearts are still soft and broken for the refugees in our city, for the people from the Middle East in our city, for other immigrants, for, for just people who need to know Jesus. Our hearts are soft and then two weeks goes by. And then we get back in our routine, and three weeks goes by. And people stop asking in four weeks about our trip. And then we stop looking at pictures about five weeks in. And and then by six to eight weeks, it's like that was a good trip. And our heart has built that wall again, grown a little cold, a little hard to the things that we saw. This is why we need to constantly make a prayer. God, touch my heart. Touch my heart of stone. I've gotten so used to my coworkers, I don't view them as sheep without a shepherd anymore. I view them as annoying. Lord, touch my heart because I don't see the people at my college like sheep without a shepherd anymore. I don't have compassion on them. I just see them as getting in my way. Lord, touch my heart. I don't see people who come to church and are needy. I don't see them as people to have compassion on. I see them as they really got in my way when I was serving Lord Jesus, touch my heart. Soften it. Find that area that's grown a little cold and hard. Lord, I pass by people who don't have homes. I pass by people holding signs. I pass by homeless people in our city, and I go to the other block. Lord, touch my heart. Soften that hard place. And some of us, man, we're in government jobs. We're in jobs that require kind of tough skin. I'm not saying don't have tough skin. I'm just saying have a soft heart. See, we need Jesus to touch our hearts and soften us because investing in people is not a new modern idea. It's called loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is an old adage given to us back in the Ten Commandments. See, people, listen to me, and I want you to write this down because it's important, because even if you know this, I want you to have to write it down. People are people. People are people, not projects. People are people, not projects. I wanted to share with you guys just a couple of ways that we can invest in people. Because maybe you're here like, all right, dude, I get it. Like, I get it. So how do I start doing this? Well, let me just give you a few ways, right? And I'm just going to run through these. I think we might have a slide, but you can just write these down. And then what I want you to do is circle one and work on that this week, okay? Number one, you can pray for them. Like, number one, your investment with people will start with prayer, because if you don't have a heart for them, then praying will give you a heart for them, all right? So we pray, pray, pray for people. Uh, Number two is we pull out our phones immediately. Like, it always cracked me up when I go around church, and I hear, we should get together, we should get together, we should get together. Meanwhile, the power that gets us together is in our pockets, and all we got to do is pull that thing out and go, when would you like to do that? 30 seconds. I've already done it three times today, and it's done, it's going to happen, because we're kind of controlled by (laughs) that little device, right? And so so if you want to invest in people, don't just say you want to invest, pull your phone out, put it on the calendar, make it happen. Number three, you can listen to them, the power of listening, that you might meet up with someone and come prepared with five or six questions to ask them, and you have no intention of talking to them. Sometimes we think investment is what we can give to them. Sometimes the best thing we can give to them is our time and attention. And so we can listen to them. We eat with them. That's a way to invest. Take them out to dinner and listen. Pay for the tab. Pay for it. Like when you invite someone out, don't like pay for it. It's costly. Investment is costly, right? Pay for it. if they're coming over to your house, cook cook them dinner, right? Have them over. Sit at the table and eat dinner. It doesn't have to be extravagant. Just eat food together. And that is a way of investing in people. Serve people. Find a way that you can serve someone. Find out, is there a need? Is someone sick? Is someone having a baby? Is someone upset about something? Is someone uh, having problems at their house? Did someone's house flood? Like, find out what's going on and serve someone. And then lastly is share. Just be a sharer. (laughs) Like, teaching my kids that. I'm not successful at it, but I'm teaching my kids, right? We should share. And I feel like sometimes we should teach adults to share. Share your stuff, share your resources, share your home, share your vehicles, share your meals, share your life, share your time. Be a sharer of who you are. Um, there's a guy, a pastor, Dr. Tony Evans, he said this, uh, read this uh, quote the other day, he said this, God, and I think we have a slide for it, God measures our effect on people, not by how many dollars we have in the bank, but by how we have used our time, talents, and treasures to invest in the eternal destiny of people. Either God will reign over your time, talents, and treasures, or you will make them your God. When you invest in advancing the kingdom on earth, what you are doing is forwarding ahead that which has eternal value attached to it. Isn't that good? I couldn't say it better than Dr. Evans. He's one of my heroes, a great guy. Um, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up, but as they do, I wanted to share with you guys something that's kind of been happening in our house lately. i um, been trying to teach our kids about money, and, uh, and it's a hard concept, I think, for kids to understand, but you know what? My kids get 50% of it. Like, I'm really impressed. Even, even my sweet little Evangeline monster, like, she gets at least 50% of it. You know the 50% that my kids get just like that? Spending. Spending. Oh, uh, they'll make it rain. Like, they will just, I mean, just money, money. Like, we get that. And that is 50% of it, right? You got to learn how to spend. So sometimes we teach them, like, we're not going to spend money on that. We are going to spend money on that, blah, 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 Okay. So they get the spending. Like, they get that. And I brought my little piggy bank here, right? They get the spending. Here's what they don't get is the saving. Come on. They don't get that at all. Zeke is like, but, Daddy, I got a dollar for my chores. I can get an ice cream at school. It's a dollar. Hello? Like, are you not connecting the dots? And I'm like, buddy, I am. But what if you didn't want ice cream? Like, what if one day you could get like a bag of chips, and they were like $2? And wouldn't you want to save for that? And he's like, but, well, I mean, maybe, but daddy, they're $1.50. And so I would just ask you and mom for the other 50 cents. And I'm like, buddy. So we're having all of these conversations, right, about money and You know, the reason I think that kids can't understand saving but they can understand spending is because kids don't understand time yet, right? Like, if we're driving down the road and I tell my kids we have an hour left, they have no concept of what that means. I could have told them we have 10 minutes left, and they would have been just as pleased with my answer because they have no concept. When I tell them to save, they can't understand why because all they're thinking about is today, All they're thinking about is this moment. Maybe they're thinking about 12 hours from now at lunchtime when they can buy ice cream. And that's all they're thinking about because kids can't think about the future. They just think about today. And guys, if we're going to be a people of kingdom investment rather than earthly investment, we're going to have to start thinking about tomorrow. And listen, not just tomorrow. We got to think about what is going to last that you're investing in for the next 17 trillion years. What in your life right now that you're giving your life to, your energy, your money, your time, you're your complaining, like what is it in your life that you're giving to right now that is going to last 17 trillion years from now? Your job won't. 17 trillion years from now, it's not going to exist. We'll all live on Mars. It's not going to, it's not, hopefully we're in heaven, but that ain't going to last, all right? It's not going to last. you investing in your house, That house isn't going to last you another 50 years, 100 years, much less 17 trillion years. What is it that you are investing in? And I feel like so many times we're just like, we're just like Zeke. We're just like my kids who, who say, man, I, all I can see is tomorrow, and i got to invest in this because this is what's going to happen tomorrow. And listen, I'm not saying that stuff isn't important. Hear my heart. I'm not saying that stuff is not important. I'm just saying what should drive us, what should float to the top, are the things that are going to last for an eternity, and that is the souls of people. Your body won't even last for 17 trillion years. Jesus is going to have to get you a new one but your soul is going to last forever. And that's what we got to invest in. That is kingdom investment, is investing in a soul, that's and not just our soul. You should be investing in your soul, but not just your soul. You should be investing in the souls in your neighborhood. You should be investing in the souls at your workplace because they're going to spend forever somewhere. And that matters to God. That would get Jesus' attention as he's conducting the crowds. The question is, does it get ours? Does it give us a glorious distraction from focusing on the temporal, earthly things and draw us to the glorious eternity of God? Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church sermon podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.